0: Hello everyone, welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We are live with you for the next hour to receive your questions on the Bible. That's what A Reason for Hope is all about. If you have questions on the Bible, you can send them in to the multiple online platforms where we're streaming live to. I'll be going over those in just a moment. Send in your Bible questions and we have some guests here who love the Lord, love the Word and love to answer Your questions straight from the Bible so it could be a verse or passage of Scripture that you'd like explained a bit better or maybe even something you're going through in your own life you're trying to make a decision or you're trying to decide on a a direction and you'd like to know what the Word says about it maybe even other worldviews as they relate to the Bible maybe the end times that we're in anything along those lines as long as it's a honest and sincere question as long as you know we are uh, delving as I say into the Bible to find the answers to those questions that's what we're all about here at A Reason for Hope. And once again we're live for you uh, with you for the next hour to do just that. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be in all those platforms with you, receiving those questions as they come on in with us today. We have Pastor Scott Richards, he's the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson, where we're streaming from. It's That's him. Guy. That's him right this there. Guy right here. That's him, yeah. yeah. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good. It's good yeah. to see Crazy you. Crazy world. Oh. But we're gonna talk about that. Yes, so, it is. You know? it is i mean
1: of all the crazy world days this has probably been one of the craziest the
0: craziest wow well well, well well we'll hear discuss. more about that we'll discuss in a moment <laughs> yes also pastor sean richards with us again how are you doing today wondering if i'm still your favorite <laughs> of course you are okay we got that of clear. course but it's on you're on thin ice so know. but for now yeah, i, I won't uh, <laughs> i won't violate that trust i don't me. know how you could be my favorite but be on thin ice that's kind of one extreme to the other but uh well, in a competition <laughs> on for the edge of your less favorable status, I <laughs> You guess. go from boom to yeah. boom. Yeah. <laughs> my favourite who not, yeah. but yes, yeah. of course you're my favorite. Of course you are. You're the most faithful. You're here with me every day almost, me and you, the proud, the few. I don't know what I'm saying anymore, but yes, Bell welcome reads. both of you. We're glad you're here. Uh, thank you for making the time to be on A Reason for Hope, for your faithfulness to this ministry here. As I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is a, a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m., Mountain Standard Time here in Tucson, Arizona. Also, that's uh, true about Pacific Time. Pacific oh. Time and Mountain Standard
1: Time are going to be identical now.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: At least in California.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. So, all our California listeners. Yep. Five o'clock. Five o'clock. Yeah. I should add that yeah. to my spiel. Yeah. If I remember, it may yeah. take a few days, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a ministry and outreach of Calvary Christian Fellowship here in uh, Tucson, Arizona. You can go to CalvaryChristianFellowship.com. Uh, that's our website that's a great home base for you uh, for our live stream especially if you're not on social media or you're boycotting a platform or whatever's going on com. we have a bit more uh control over that being our website so go there check it out especially if you're in the tucson arizona area if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship you're more than welcome to come and visit and check us out we're in near princeton i-10 on the west side of the freeway. Uh, pretty convenient location so you're more than welcome to come but uh, if you go to our website there as I said com, follow the live the watch live tab that will take you to our live page we're streaming live right there you'll see the video you can sign in with a username of your choice and there'll be a chat function where you can send in your question and I'll be receiving those there and we'll throw them out here to our guests uh but uh, when we're offline you'll see a countdown to the next show you'll see a schedule of upcoming events as well so you can see things that are coming up um, ccftucson.online.church is the direct link if you type that straight into the address bar of your browser CCF ccftucson.online.church will take you to that same page and once again com will also lead you to there as well we're on facebook i just checked we are live today we've had some technical issues but so far this week praise the lord we have been streaming live so facebook.com slash tucson, or search for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson on Facebook. Don't forget to like and um, share as well. We'd appreciate that. Uh, but send in your question through the chat box that's uh, attached to the video there, uh, the comments. And I will be receiving those as well. We have an app for your mobile device. Look for Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson in your app store. And you can uh, download that and watch us on your mobile device. Uh, we have a channel on Roku as well. And on Apple TV, so if you have those devices, a Roku box or a smart TV with those functions, you can add us in your channel store, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. We're on YouTube as well. The name of the channel is A Reason for Hope on YouTube. We are streaming live there. Once again, you can send in your questions through the, the chat function there on the comments, and I'll be receiving those. Uh, it's a great place for archive as well if you missed the show or you want to recap or check out some of the other events that we've streamed live just go to that live tab on our page on youtube and uh, all the videos are right there for you we post uh, uh, questions of the week and other content there as well so a reason for hope on youtube don't forget to, to like and subscribe and click on that notification bell if you'd like to get prompted when we're live we'd appreciate that It all helps us to grow This uh, ministry as well. Pastor Scott here is on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, Scott R for H is his handle. Scott, letter R, number four, letter H. He posts all kinds of content there, Um, especially uh, uh, things going on in the world as it pertains to uh, biblical prophecy and end times and things like that. There's so much as he mentioned. It's a bit of a crazy world out there, but um, nothing that isn't. Uh, predicted <laughs> and warned <laughs> about um, so that always helps um, to uh, to give us some peace there but also uh, some funnies and kind of highlights from the show and things like that so Scott for H on Twitter if you'd like to follow along with him uh, we post videos on Rumble as well we're not live there but we post some content there A Reason for Hope Bible Q&A if you're on that Rumble platform and then our email address is questionsforhope at gmail.com Questions Hope all spelled out at gmail.com. You can email us your question and uh, contact us there as well. If you listen to us on the radio, Reach Radio or another radio affiliate, so we're very glad that you're tuning in. But you are listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded, so we're not live with you per se. Uh, but keep that email address in mind, Hope at gmail.com. Send us your question there. We'll get to that on our next show. So welcome, welcome. However you have stumbled upon us or intentionally joining us, whatever platform, you are on. We're glad you're there. Send your questions in. Get them in early if you would, and uh, I'll try and parcel out the time for those questions today. And we're very, very um, grateful for you, the viewer, uh, providing our content through your questions. So, well, before we go any further, why don't we pause to pray, ask the Lord to bless and speak and lead our time. Scott, would you like to pray for us? I would love to do that. Yeah, that'd be great. We definitely need it today. Yes. Uh, Father,
1: thank you, Lord, that in a world that seems so uh, chaotic and confusing, your word Uh, is such a beautiful foundation you say that if we hear your word and do it we will be like a man who built his house upon the rock the winds will come the floods will rise beat against the house but it will sustain because it's founded upon the rock uh lord we don't want to be those that build on shifting sand the constantly changing uh world of world opinions and uh latest trends and fads Uh, Lord, uh, we don't want to find ourselves trying to navigate by a light tied to our own ship's mast in terms of deciding what's right and wrong within our lives. Thank you, Lord, for giving us that guidance and direction. We pray that as uh, we discuss uh, pointed issues and uh, issues that impact the lives of people directly, we would speak the truth in love, uh, that Lord, just as you were full of grace and truth, we would be full of grace and truth as well. And thank you, Lord, that uh, we can put our faith and our trust in you, even in these uh, chaotic times. Thank you for this in Jesus'
0: name, amen. Amen, amen indeed. thank you for that. Well,
1: what's going on? Oh boy, <laughs> what isn't going on? these days, uh, probably uh, start out with uh, the easy one. I don't know how many of you uh, had uh, the uh, disconcerting uh, experience uh, early on about 10 o'clock or so today of having uh, your cell phone uh, buzz like yes. a uh, angry rattlesnake. <laughs> well that was what was called an EAS alert. Uh, these things are put together by the FCC and by the Federal Emergency Management administration and other acronyms uh, to uh, warn people in the, the case of a national emergency right. and from time to time they test these particular systems well uh, some of these tests have been pretty disconcerting uh, in the past you might recall a uh, it was a couple of years ago that they ran a test along this line however the person running the test failed to realize that the computer algorithm had uh, coughed up uh, not only a signal to look at your cell phone But uh, the cheery message that there was a warning of incoming ballistic missiles from North Korea.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was in Hawaii, right? Yeah, in Hawaii. They can't get a break. Yeah.
1: So uh, uh, as you can probably imagine, that was a little disconcerting. Fascinating uh, that the same system did not function when the fires burned through Lahaina in Maui. Uh, So I'm kind of glad they're testing this uh, in the case that it's actually uh, supposed to work. However, whenever there is anything that affects people on a national level, anything that has to do with communication, anything, well, actually that has to do with a lot of anything these days, inevitably there are the clickbait bandits, as we like to call them, who will immediately try to stir this up as being prophetically significant. One of the most interesting examples of this was that uh, there were some that were saying that if you have your cell phone on, and the EAS signal comes on, you will have received the mark of the beast. Well, I think we just need to understand, uh, first and foremost, if that confuses you at all, if you're a newbie to biblical prophecy or uh, your understanding of biblical prophecy is limited to uh, uh, maybe movies and things that you've seen on YouTube and such.
2: Then you would be uh, more informed than the person who made that claim.
1: Yeah, well, the, the the bottom line is this. Nobody is going to take the mark of the beast accidentally. Uh, we are told in uh, Revelation chapter 14, for instance, that the mark of the beast, which will be uh, a passport to participation in the last days world economic system, Uh, will require a conscious decision to worship the Antichrist as God. Well, unless you were worshiping your cell phone at that particular moment as your personal deity, Mm. I don't think uh, that was going to be a very spiritually significant thing for you. Another uh, person uh, went so far as to say, no, it's not the mark of the beast, but if you received the the, uh, COVID-19 vaccination." this particular pulse will transform the COVID vaccination into a form of the Marburg virus. Uh, uh, under that umbrella goes the, the light little condition known as Ebola. Uh, so as you can imagine, um, well, uh, when asked, where do you get that information, Uh, how well, uh, vague things and uh, intimations of saying that it was something that came to them in a vision and so forth. I don't know about you, but when I make health uh, care decisions, uh, vague things and visions really aren't my go-to and they shouldn't be yours as well. So, uh, you know, why do these sort of things happen? Well, I think there is something that is prophetically significant about it. Uh, We hear a lot about disinformation these days, that uh, one of the ways that uh, warfare goes on by other means is that different nations want people to believe things that just aren't true, things that are discouraging, things that are confusing. I really believe uh, the kingdom of darkness works the same way. If you can stir people up enough with enough chicken littlism about things and uh, put them all under the umbrella of biblical prophecy, Uh, Before too long, you flood the system with so much bad information that biblical information gets lost in the shuffle, Mm. and people don't pay attention. Hence why Jesus warned about his coming being like a thief in the night. Mm. Ah, you know, who who cares? So uh, I do think it's prophetically significant, and I think it is a call uh, to all of us as believers in Christ to get our convictions on biblical prophecy, especially the blessed hope that Jesus could come at any moment straight from the Bible, not from the latest postings you might see on the interwebs. So uh, that is uh, one thing to say. Uh, The other thing uh, that has uh, come up, and uh, we've uh, been a part of it uh, on our uh, particular website, is uh, we've uh, been talking a bit about uh, the uh, big conference that was held at Andy Stanley's church last weekend. It came with a fascinatingly uh, open-minded sounding title, correct?
2: Yes, uh, the title is unconditional and it's intended to engage with families about LGBT matters. And uh, as you may imagine, uh, for those of you who follow my YouTube channel, it gave no shortage of uh, inspiration. As far as the joke material I use to engage with bad arguments uh, against Christianity or false claims made about other religions. Yeah. I have 12 ready. Would you like me to read maybe four? Well,
1: uh, in, in the fact that we're going to try to get the questions and be as succinct as we can about all of this, uh, uh, the, uh, Sean McDowell uh, put out a, an hour-and-a-half video, uh, an analysis that he did with a member of Greg Kuchel's Stand of Reason ministry, uh, and uh, we uh, put it up on our Twitter feed. It is an hour and a half, and if you are a uh, Christian pastor out there, if you're any kind of leadership role in the church, I would highly, highly recommend that you take the time to take a look at this presentation in its entirety, uh, because it was presented by an individual who actually attended uh, the conference. Uh, they were able to talk uh, about uh, the different speakers, the different breakout sessions they had. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, uh, presentation, I felt, was fair. Uh, attempted to present uh, a, uh, a giving the uh, benefit of the doubt uh, as much as possible sort of perspective, but also uh, showing the, the, the real concerns that uh, conferences like this Arising and the ministry of Andy Stanley is bringing to the forefront Um, You know the idea uh, that uh, You know as evangelical Christians uh, We reach out to all people uh, that God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten son We don't discriminate in terms of saying well You've got a particular area of sin and that pretty much puts you beyond the pale Uh, That that's a thoroughly unbiblical point of view But on the other side of the coin If we uh, make a set-aside, a cutout, if you will, for a particular uh, area of struggle with our fallen human nature, like homosexual practice, Mm. and we attempt to sanctify it or excuse it or, as I said, put together a set-aside within the church for people, say, with same-sex attraction issues and say, well, maybe it's not so bad that they get married. Well, among the speakers at uh, Andy Stanley's conference this weekend were a number of uh, people who were homosexually married individuals, mm. uh, and uh, the, you know, and we can talk about the plus and minus. I would really encourage you uh, to go to uh, Sean McDowell's website and uh, take a look at the evaluation of this because he does go into quite a bit of specific detail about what was said mm-hmm. beyond the pale of what we can uh, talk about here. But one of the, uh, the issues that was raised that I think is particularly significant and I think is sooner or later gonna come home to roost uh, for all of us who are involved in Christian ministry is uh, the, the assertion that if you are a same-sex attracted individual That the message of the Bible is clear and Andy Stanley's church to be fair affirms this that the Mm. definition of marriage According to the Bible is one man one woman committed together for life Mm. that uh, Our sexuality should only be practiced within that one man one woman committed together for life Institution God designed called marriage fortunately So so far so good But the problem gets to be after making an assertion like this then in the name of compassion Uh, People like Andy Stanley will say things like those with same-sex attraction will say that uh, remaining celibate for the rest of their lives, not having a family, and so on, is not sustainable. Mm. And so because of that, an allowance should be made for people who are same-sex attracted to enter into committed monogamous relationships, and we will call it marriage. Mm. Now, at first blush, you know if you're not particularly biblically well versed you go well okay you know potato potato you know uh you know viva la difference Uh, as long as they're in a committed relationship what's the problem yeah well here's the problem and i think it goes back to this statement that asking someone with a same-sex attraction to uh, practice celibacy as a believer in christ is not sustainable That, I think, is a huge, huge problem. Hmm. Why? Well, first of all, God never calls us to do anything in our Christian lives without supplying all the power necessary to do so. If, say, uh, I am an individual who uh, is, say, heterosexually attracted but is not married, God says that his will for our lives, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to him, is to remain celibate, uh, to be able to possess your vessel in a way that honors God, as First Thessalonians chapter 4 has to say. It is only after we make that lifetime, one man, one woman committed together for life uh, uh, commitment, entering into that which God has ordained, what God has joined together, let not man separate, mm-hmm. that we enter into the fullness of expression of the sexual relationship. Now, if I, say, who am heterosexually attracted, uh, decide, you know, that's just not sustainable. That, that's just not realistic. Mm. I've just got to express myself. And, and, and maybe I can get involved with this person and say, yeah, I really love you, and I'm sure we'll be together forever, but you're not married. Mm. There's been no I do going on here. Well, if there's any doubt about whether you said I do, chances are you don't. Um, Without that kind of commitment and just saying it, well, it's in my heart or something like that, the Bible has a word for that behavior. It's called fornication. If on the other side of the coin, I look at God's standard of one man, one woman committed together for life and say, well, you know, again, you know, I'm a man and God gave me these desires, and if God gave me these desires, why doesn't he want me to act on them? I just don't think it's sustainable that I should remain faithful to my wife for the rest of my life. Uh, That's just not realistic. Uh, So why not get involved with polygamy? Why not uh, have the occasional fling? After all, David had concubines, yada, yada, yada. Uh, Some people that are pretty high up and the echelon of Christian thought have even fallen into that spiritual trap. Um, If I say that God's standard for the practice of my sexuality, which includes celibacy outside the realm of marriage, is not sustainable, Mm. what have I said about God? Mm. I've said, God, your standards are not realistic. Maybe I'll even take it a step further. Your standards are not compassionate. You don't understand my struggle, even though Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. Uh, God, maybe I'll even take it a step further. Your standards are not fair. So I'm going to do you a favor, God. I'm going to rewrite your standards. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I'm going to come up with something that has never, uh, ever been even hitted at in the Scripture, creating an entirely new institution, Mm -hmm. sanctify it, uh, spiritualize it, uh, say, well, this is my way of inviting people into the church to hear the gospel and not offend them. Yeah. Uh, at what price? Sustainability. You know, and uh, I, Al Muller, uh, who is uh, the uh, president of uh, the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, had a great quote on all of this about the whole sustainability aspect of this and this argument. He said that the idea that a biblical mandate can be dismissed as, quote, not sustainable, can hardly stop with same-sex marriage. Mm. The sexual revolution will plow right through that argument. So uh, we don't follow Jesus, understand this, because we say it's sustainable. Well, in the flesh, in our fallen nature, nothing that God calls us to do is sustainable. Right. Loving your enemies is that sustainable? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, laying down my, taking up my cross and following. Jesus, that sustainable? Yeah. Uh, not in my experience. But what God does is, you know, there's an old saying in Calvary Chapel circles where God guides, He provides. And so, when God gives us guidance regarding the practice of our sexuality, He also provides for us. And this is uh, strikingly lacking from any of the material. Uh, that I've read from Andy Stanley's church, or how they tend to portray these things, is that God also will give us the enabling power of the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. to be able to live a life that pleases Him, in spite of the fact I might be tempted in a number of different ways. To say that just because I'm tempted in any way you want to name, let's take sexuality out of it, that I'm tempted to say, well, you know, uh, everybody cheats a little bit on one another in business, therefore, you know, uh, I guess I can do that and God will have to understand. No, you don't do that. You decide, you know, as tempting as it would be, say, to get over on somebody in a, an unjust way in a business deal, I'm gonna ask you, Lord, to deal with my greed, to deal with my lust, to deal with my covetousness, and ask you to give me the strength and the power to overcome that. Yeah. That's where the spiritual battle goes on uh, to say, well, you know what, Um, this whole sexuality thing, uh, the biblical definition is not sustainable. So let's redefine what our Christian sexuality would be. I know, let's form the Fellowship of Christian Adulterers, and we'll have a, a support group where we can talk about, all you know, there's a lot of challenges when you're involved with adulterous relationships. And and there's just a lot of people out there that just won't understand, you know, all the things that you have to go through. And, you know, what happens when your wife throws a frying pan at you and things like this? Uh, No, we we don't do that. And yet our culture is rapidly approaching this point. And, uh, you know, I do think uh, that Jesus warned us about this. Uh, As far as a sign of the end, you want to bring it back to biblical prophecy. He said that because lawlessness is increased, the love of most will grow cold in Matthew chapter 24. Uh, I think this is an example of this. And we don't want our love and our concern for people who struggle with same-sex attraction to grow cold. We don't want to have our love grow cold for those who don't know the Lord or perhaps involved in same-sex relationships and so on. We want to reach out to them. But what is the more loving thing for us to do? To say, well, I don't want you to be offended. I I don't want you to be uncomfortable. Therefore, I'm going to pull punches with you regarding what the Bible has to say about the practice of our sexuality. Or even worse, I'm going to edit in the name of sustainability God's practices for the church. Just as long as you're here, just as long as you're filling our pews, that's, that's all we really care yeah. about. And we're going to call that love, and we're going to call that reaching out to others. But, you know, I, I think it just runs headlong into the account of Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. Uh, even though Jesus said, neither do I condemn you, mm-hmm. he also said, go and sin, sin no more. more. Um, I think the Andy Stanley camp gets the neither do I condemn you thing, uh, you know, right but they forgot about the other wing of the airplane go and sin no more and inevitably um, that's where real destruction takes place i think it's very dangerous and uh, the uh, sean mcdowell uh, uh, video uh, goes into quite a bit of detail about this i think it's naive perhaps i think it might be sneaky uh, in terms of what the real agenda here is Uh, but it is definitely definitely dangerous because uh once you allow for that well why not polygamy yeah. i mean you can make an old testament case that very godly guys practice polygamy why one man one woman for life now and it, it wasn't true back then maybe yeah. andy will ask us to re-hitch our faith to the old testament when that starts coming up or but, when
2: islam is able to institute sharia law we need to accept the fact that the prophet, as he so called, instituted for four wives at most, according to Surah 4. But, of course, don't forget as well, Muhammad had around 11. So Yeah,
1: so the, the bottom line is this, um, you know, it, it, one of the things that uh, Andy Stanley said in his sermon uh, on Sunday after the conference was that there are certain people who draw lines, we want to draw circles, and <laughs> that sounds very hip and very tolerant and and so on. Yeah. But when your circle becomes so expansive, you have to understand something. A circle is a line by any other name. Hmm. Because Andy Stanley and the drawing circles and uh, not not having any qualifiers as far as uh, what our sexual morality is all about immediately puts people outside the circle. Right? Right. I mean, certainly would put me outside that circle. Yeah. I would not attend a church that taught such a thing. Yep. So is that tolerant to people like me? So I think yeah. we have sort of this, <laughs> this subjective tolerance thing going on. Yes. If your particular practice is sort of the uh, practice de jure, the cause celebre, if you will, in our culture, then we're going to draw a circle and let you in. Yeah. But if you're one of those fuddy-duddies that believes the Bible is like the word of God and that Jesus' word should be taken seriously, um, maybe not so much for you
2: both of which
0: Andy Stanley has publicly denied. So there you go. Yeah. So much comes down to your view of, um, you know, God as far as our prosperity and our comfort and those kind of things. You know, I think a lot of people, I think when I came to the Lord, I, you know, without realizing it, I thought God was there to help provide for my, you know, my, uh, my happiness you know and my provision and those i wonder kinda, where you got that uh, idea <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow i've got this big big guy in the sky that i can gonna answer prayers and as you go along and you read the word we're called to you know uh, uh, sharing the sufferings of our lord and there's great purpose in um trials and things like that in our life and so like you were saying scott it's not about um you know there's there's struggles as a single person there's struggles as a married person there's struggles in all walks of life um, and that's part of that's part of the plan, and God will sustain us. Um, but if you view God as someone, well, I, I I desire this, and I feel this, and God is there to fulfill that, um, then you're going to get you're going to get in trouble. What was that you the other day, Sean? You said the movement that's all about feelings, um, a, a, hedonism. Hedonism, yeah, that's right. Or wrong it. is based off of pleasure, right? And that, I think a lot of us have some of that in us. Yeah. You know, we think that's it. This this is what I, I feel like. This is what I desire. So yeah, it is, must be. Yeah. It is
2: the American religion right now. Yeah.
0: Yeah, very much. That's a real challenge to think through those things. Yeah. So um, let me uh, exhort you all, uh, if
1: you want to see what I feel is very balanced, very level-headed uh, evaluation of all of this, uh, the, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. It's called Andy Stanley's Unconditional Conference Deep Dive Response. Featuring Sean McDowell and Alan Schleyman, who has mm-hmm. been involved in uh, ministries dealing with this issue for about 20 years or so. So they, they know whereof uh, they speak. So okay. uh, check that out. It's available on mm-hmm. YouTube, it's available on a lot of uh, different things. We have a link to it on our uh, Twitter feed. Uh, but, uh, you know, like I say, it's about an hour and a half, yep. but it's uh, definitely time well invested. And I would say that if you are a pastor, a Christian leader, a Bible study facilitator, if you're on a college campus, your high school, wherever, uh, I would really, really encourage you to invest the time to uh, take a look at this presentation. Yeah. Uh, I think it's very even-handed, uh, not sensationalistic at all, but doesn't pull any punches. either.
2: Mm, very good. And if you want to see me tease them relentlessly about it, I'll be uploading those videos on the
0: 16th of October. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, Well, a question here, um, often, Scott, you give us like a prophecy update. We have a question that's along those lines from Alexis. Uh, Do you think that the current peace treaty with the UAE and Saudi has any biblical significance? The Abraham Accords, you mean? Yeah.
1: Well, Saudi Arabia has not uh, joined the Abraham Accords yet. Uh, Alexi, we've talked quite a bit about the fact that there's a lot of movement in that direction, a lot of uh, back-channel uh, communication between the Israeli government and the Saudi government. Uh, we, are, we have seen uh, Saudi uh, 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 portfolio-carrying ministers visiting Israel and vice versa, which was absolutely unheard of even a few years ago. So I do think that Saudi Arabia joining the Abraham Accords is uh, is something that we will see happening, and I think that is probably going to reshape uh, the whole uh Structure of the, the, uh, the Middle East. Uh, there was an article in the Jerusalem Post today about how uh, the Ayatollah Khomeini in Iran is strongly, strongly, strongly warning Saudi Arabia not to do this, mm. even talking about abrogating their uh, peace treaty that they've kind of come to, their mutual defense pact that they've entered into, which is a pretty remarkable thing, especially when you consider the two different sects of Islam they, they represent. Uh, is this Prophetic? Well, I think it's prophetic maybe in the sense of setting the stage. Uh, Lexi, you know, when we say setting the stage, what we mean is we see certain events going on that are prophetic, but not prophetic in the fullness of how they're described in the prophetic scenario. In fact, I think the only thing that we have actually seen uh, in our day and age that is directly a prophetic fulfillment, we're going to be talking about this particular passage tonight Uh, at Calvary Christian Fellowship at 630, is Ezekiel 36 and uh, the reclamation of the land Mm. uh, that God would do in the last days and in the end times, Uh, how Israel would go from being a place that was absolutely devastated, a place that devours its inhabitants as it's described, uh, to a place that's almost like the Garden of Eden in its productivity. We'll talk about uh, the prophetic significance of that. I think we have seen that particular prophecy fulfilled uh, during our day and uh, in a sense we ain't seen nothing yet. But we have seen a lot of the pieces of the puzzle coming together. Uh, the move towards globalism would be uh, setting the stage. Yep. Uh, the World Economic Federation uh, the One World Government, uh, the idea of a cashless society yep. uh, being uh, moved in those directions. That's not the mark of the beast but sure sets the stage for it. Right. In the same way uh, these agreements that are going on between nations in the Middle East and uh, the Abraham Accords and so on certainly can set the stage for what is described in the book of Daniel chapter nine as a strong covenant that the Antichrist will make with many nations that among other things will allow Israel to rebuild its temple on its historic site. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that the Abraham Accords itself? Not at this point. Will the Antichrist use the framework of the Abraham Accords to perhaps grease the skids towards that final agreement? probably a likely scenario, very plausible. Uh, We don't know for sure. It might be a completely different agreement. Mm -hmm. But we do see a movement towards, you know, intractable enemies who are just at each other's throats, Israel and all the nations around it, uh, suddenly coming to a sense of uh, rapprochement, as they would say in in French, Uh, that they are learning to get along with each other and have uh, trade and, and defense and, and so on. Uh, coming together. So a uh, pretty remarkable movement, a pretty unlikely movement in a lot of ways. Prophetically significant? We'll have to wait and see. It's one of those ones we go, hmm, we're definitely moving in that direction. Yes. But as far as a direct prophetic fulfillment, probably not. Right.
0: Great. Well, Alexis, thank you for that, that question. Hope that helps you out. Uh, question from Troya: uh, Does God ever put limits on himself? Why does he limit himself to the Bible. I'm not sure in what sense he limits himself to the Bible, but is there a sense in, what, in which God limits himself? Well, the in the sense that uh, you're not
1: going to get the straight story on him from the Quran. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but, I guess ahead. in
0: that, speaking yeah. of Andy Stanley, I guess, yeah. Um, yeah.
2: when it comes to God limiting himself, the most plain answer is absolutely, otherwise he wouldn't be an ethical being. He limits himself from deception. God cannot lie, according to the book of Numbers and quoted in Hebrews. God limits himself in terms of, you know, violating his own character. He cannot go against his own nature as perfectly good. God cannot violate our free will, not because he can't, but because he chooses not to. That is, in a sense, a limit of himself. He is, in fact, capable of limiting himself. Why? Because he, by nature, is a perfect person being he can't express or pursue things that would violate who he is fundamentally and if we set up this horrible caricature of the argument of omnipotence and say well unless God can do everything then God can't do anything that the idea of someone being all-powerful means that they also have to violate their capacity to have power it would be the equivalent of saying that well you know can uh, God make a circle into a square, something that is fundamentally rooted in his nature and the foundation of truth, can he alter his own nature? And if not, then that means that you don't believe in this quote-unquote absolute being because I made a ridiculous scenario that violates his nature. It's the equivalent of not just squaring a circle, but say, redefining language into a married bachelor we think that that flies in this world because we get more upvotes on it on social media polls but the reality is that words mean things and God and good both include that so when we're talking about God we're not talking about a being that does everything we're talking about a being that is capable of everything but that also has a fundamental nature and that nature has been revealed to us through the Bible which is why when people say, well, I don't limit my revelation of God to the Bible. It's this slimy and underhanded way of not only dismissing the validity of scripture because they're trying to get out of its authority, but also putting their own usually experience or other sources of spiritual input in their lives that they respect in authority over the Bible. But notice the pincer trap. It's trying to get around something, not including something. That's the problem. So when you encounter this kind of blasphemy, we need to first be careful in the mindset of, well, I don't believe in a God with limits. Yes, you do you are also someone with limits not just in terms of physical strength but of moral authority and if you don't then i recommend incarcerating yourself so that you aren't inflicted on other people but if on the other hand we say i don't believe in a god who violates his own nature then you have to follow that up with okay where do you define his nature from you can look at the what's called, quote unquote, the book of nature, and say, well, I see the sunset, I see the stars, I see the galaxy, and I see that there must be something greater than me, but I don't go any farther than that. That doesn't show you that the God of the Bible exists. That's not going to save you, that's not going to create fellowship with you, and most importantly, that's not going to deal with your sin problem. The fact that you acknowledge something bigger than you means that you have eyes. But if you have the wherewithal to acknowledge if God has spoken, that I'm not Resorting to speculation, as we often say, but revelation. What has God spoken about himself? I don't limit God to the Bible. I understand his limits by nature through what he said. And if you dismiss his ability to speak for himself, then whatever you're worshiping is A, not the God of the Bible, and B, not a God that you worship, because now you dictate to him what he is and isn't allowed to be. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the other thing about uh, can God limit himself? Mm-hmm. Well,
1: certainly he can. He did. We are told, according to uh, Philippians chapter 2, when he took on human nature in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, Fascinating passage that describes this, again, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, Have this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The idea of robbery is something to be held on to, he willingly let go. Uh, that, uh, that being in that status as God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being a found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Well, we should all be grateful that God can limit himself, because when he took on a human nature like ours in the person of Jesus Christ, that was limiting uh, when Jesus was here, for instance, uh, he got hungry, he got thirsty, he got tired and needed sleep. Uh, these were all things in his human nature that he would never experience in his divine nature. But he limited himself, why? So that he could be the pioneer, if you will, the the, uh, the one who leads us in the faith, yep. uh, the, the one that has been tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Right. Uh, so, you know, the idea, can God limit himself? Well, yes, he not only can, but he has, he limited himself to the point where Jesus was willing to die in our place. In his humanity, limited, he could experience pain, suffering. He could go through death. In his divinity, he could offer a sacrifice of eternal value that would pay the price for your sins, my sins, the whole world's sins, past, present, and future. Yeah. So we should be very glad that we have
0: a God who limits himself. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Troya. yes, thank you for that question. Appreciate that. Good question hope that helps you out with that discussion there. A question from Serena. Uh, My question is, if two people want to get married in a church that they do not attend, would the church pastor be willing to officiate, or do the individuals have to be part of a church or that particular church? She said, I'm sorry if that's written weirdly. No, that makes perfect sense, Serena. Um, So basically, I thought the question is, you know, different scenarios in marriage. I think we've seen a lot here, even at CCF people wanting to get married how do we handle that people from outside the church inside the church well
2: there's no like set biblical mandate for how a pastor is going to involve himself and those outside of where he gathers the definition of church isn't a building or even necessarily a fellowship or a denomination it's a gathering of like-minded people so as long as you fit that definition then i think there's no breach of conscience on the pastor's part if he were to go to someone sincerely seeking to be married, and to recognize and officiate that in a biblical way. The only withholding, I think, that would be pretty universal, and each church is going to have what's called bylaws, just a legal approach to what they are and aren't going to do, Um, if, say, for example, they were a part of a cult. Uh, Mormonism, for instance, and they were asking to observe the celestial ceremony of marriage where upon this covenant they seek to become a god and goddess through obedience of gospel ordinances put forward by a paint huffer. Mm -hmm. That's not something that a pastor would in good conscience be able to perform, not because they go to a different church, but because they are asking him to participate in something fundamentally against what biblical marriage actually is. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they were Like we were talking about before in a hedonist uh, lifestyle, not just homosexuals, but say they had been living together and stuff. Um, Our policy here at church is that if they're in that living situation, uh, we would encourage them to separate for a time, a couple months, and, uh, and specifically engage in couples counseling before marriage so that to be as direct as possible the commitment sticks that they know what they're getting into before they take the oath um if for instance they were in a situation where you know uh, non-believers or if they were just trying to get something signed on the paper there may be some wiggle room as far as that's concerned like say you're serving as a chaplain on the military base and you don't want to make a fuss about it i would say you could probably think things through and maybe go the counseling route my approach when dealing with non-believers that wanted to get married was to start the counseling session with the gospel and see where that goes but the point of emphasis is that as long as there's a mutual understanding of what marriage is then where they're getting married or where they're getting fed the word of god is a secondary of secondary issues
0: yeah yeah
1: Well, I would agree, and I've been in situations where (laughs) I've got conflicting uh, information. There was a couple uh, that came to me and uh, and wanted to get married, and uh, they weren't a part of uh, the church I was serving in at all, Calvary, Costa Mesa. And I remember uh, talking to Pastor Romaine, the former Marine Drill Sergeant, and uh, he had uh, decided to take on it. He said, well, you're a minister of Jesus Christ, right? And I said, Yes well, if they're not in Jesus Christ, then you have no business marrying them, mm. and, wow. you know, I thought, well, they are two non-Christians, you know, yep. and, and so I thought, well, you know, that, that sounds like solid advice. Well, fortunately, I followed up and talked to Chuck Smith about it, and he said, oh, I'd, I'd do the wedding. Mm. He goes, I've done a lot of weddings with uh, non-believers wanted to be married. First, like you mentioned, Sean, it gives you the chance to share the gospel with them, but secondly, it also gives you the opportunity to be able to create a uh, bridge, a relationship with them, and Chuck said, when they have problems, and they will, uh, they're gonna probably come to you, and you'll have another opportunity to be able to perhaps lead them to Christ. So, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible does speak against uh, being unequally yoked. And if one person is a believer and one person is a non-believer, you know, to me, that's not one that I would officiate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would draw a line at that particular time. Right. Uh, and, you know, I would just say, you know, you guys want to get married? You know, you have the opportunity to it, the justice of the peace and all this, and, you know, we would hope you would, uh, you know, continue to be involved. Uh, and, and hear God's truth and hopefully reach that person and, and really emphasize that person, how important it is for them to come to know the Lord. Uh, but, uh, you know, the the problem when we draw too hard a line on these sort of things is one that Chuck Smith the, pointed out to me. He said, yeah, if you draw the line and just say no, uh, they'll never come to you for advice because all they're going to hear is, I told you so. Right. So, you know, I just think we have to have our own convictions on that particular issue. Mm-hmm. If we're going to do a wedding, we have to realize that marriage is a very high and holy thing, and the only kind of weddings that I can do are Christian weddings. Um, in mm-hmm. in making that very clear, uh, it's provided uh, guidance uh, through opening doors and closing doors down through time. I remember um, talking to a, a couple that had gone through all the premarital counseling and yada 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 came down to explain the kind of wedding ceremony i do where i talk about the responsibility of husbands and wives from the book of ephesians wives submitting yourself to your own husband and this woman said well i'm not going to submit to him are you crazy yeah Uh, i mean she was really offended by that and go well this is what the scripture says and went on my way to explain what it means but uh, she goes there's no way there's no way i will ever do that and the guy was turning about eight shades of read uh, you know just so embarrassed and i just said it sounds to me like you guys got some things you got to talk about yeah but this is i'm a christian pastor this is what i do you know i can't really change it to suit your taste (laughs) uh and uh they ended up not getting married wow and about six months later they both came back to me they said thank you thank you thank you so much for not doing that it would have been a complete disaster yeah so
0: thank god Stick to your guns, yes, I guess. yeah, and like you said, it is an opportunity to to minister as ministers. I remember it was several years ago, but a young couple stopped by the church here, and with with a dad, I think it was her dad, and he said they're about to go down and get married, but I want them to get married in the church. Will you do it? <laughs> literally like that, you know. And I think it was Beau was here, and we talked to them, and, and that's how we saw it. It was an opportunity to to minister to them and share the word. They're literally on their way there. We we may as well, you know, take that opportunity. Um, right and so we did that like like you said but you know it's it's nice when you know the couple and you can sit down for several weeks and go through all these things and pre and all that stuff too but um like you you know said sean as well case by case and yeah in that and, and when i say you know i'm not comfortable marrying a believer and a non-believer
1: uh, i'm just expressing my conviction on that i'm not saying that there aren't exceptions to that rule depending upon what's happening in that particular set of circumstances you got to be led by the Lord, and I think yeah. the most important thing that we can do in those circumstances is to say, okay, what does it mean for me to be able to reach out to them with the love and the truth of Jesus Christ, not one excluding the other?
2: Yeah. So.
0: Very good. And yeah, uh, we'll, we'll
2: get banned for hate speech in like two years for this, but we also don't do secret second weddings, and we also don't do children. That That's a line. <laughs> Alright. <laughs>
0: Marrying okay. children? Yes, yeah. sir. A good idea, yeah. Sharia compliant, but we're not playing. Yes, no, that's good. good. Let's stick to that. Yeah, well, Serena, uh, thank you for that question. I hope that helps you out. Uh, with that, uh, question from Yari, uh, why aren't we told specifically how old the earth is, or are we because we're
2: If we were going by our modern dating system, we'd be going off of a calendar that would post-date the information that were given in Genesis 1 by about 2,900 years. So it wouldn't make sense for the Bible to go 3,000 years in the future, use a calendar that no one would have understood or determined time by, and then to use that sort of metric. As far as us being able to understand in the general ballpark of how old the earth is, two things need to be aware of, first your assumptions and what's plainly written first of all if your assumptions are that the earth has to be an insurmountable and constantly changing number based on assumptions that eliminate the concept of god before a single number is put into the calculator then you're going to come up with a as wide variety of numbers on the day of the or the age of the universe as a whole with that in mind but if In your mind, you say, The guy who rose from the dead affirmed the existence and the creation and the timing of the creation of Adam as at the beginning. Like, like the start of things, then we're going to have to say, okay, if that's our reference point, then what are we told? And if you read in Genesis chapter five, the days of Adam were around 960 years before he uh, went to the way of the world. And then around the time of his death, you keep track of the genealogy right. of Seth, and it goes all the way to the time of Noah. You add his date on, you note the time when Noah was born, you add that time on, you get a general ballpark, uh, number that would of course go by the Hebrew learning uh, lunar calendar and how they would determine dates and there are plenty of good resources that you can go to in order to do those calculations and there's wiggle room as far as the semantics of that. Um, We don't grant a gap theory. We don't believe that there's an indeterminate period of time between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2 because, once again, the only reason you would read the text like that is because of presuppositions, not plain language. It would also contradict what Jesus plainly said when he noted that from the beginning he made them male and female, ish and isha. That's referencing Genesis 2 as a historical event. Uh, Also note, when we're ask the question, well, you know, I can't believe in a God that would clearly contradict what science has proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Once again, it's not only circular reasoning, but it's not even a conclusive statement, because if you're going to say this conclusive fact, which hasn't been concluded, that the universe, and, and again, when it comes to, uh, when, how old was the universe when you were going to high school?
1: Uh, I think they estimated it was about uh, 10 billion years old.
2: And now it's in the trillions. So either you're... Well, I don't think it's
1: the trillions. I think they're saying... The, the it's universe. About, uh, the universe is about, well, our cre- the, the creation that we live in. I think they say it's somewhere between 15 and 20 billion
2: years old. So either you're 8 billion years old or this isn't as settled a science as they make it out to be. And if you're going to make points and conclusions based on those points, you want them to be settled, not something that's changing literally every other month, depending on who's the dean of education. So when we make assumptions and say the Bible can't mean what it says because of assumptions that mean the Bible's wrong in verse 1, now how do I read verses 2 onward? that doesn't make sense, that's inconsistent. Yeah. If on the other hand you go, well, I want to build bridges, go the Andy Stanley route and say, I don't want to alienate atheists who are already making this assumption, so let's just throw out Genesis and let's move on from there. Great. Um, Why would you also not throw out Exodus? Because they're going to come up with the same assumptions and dismissals of the miracle claims that were made by Moses. Why would you throw out Leviticus? Because they're going to be very offended by the rules against hedonism that are mentioned in there. Why wouldn't you throw out Numbers? Because it mentions a talking donkey, among other things. Why wouldn't you throw out Deuteronomy? Because Moses is clearly a fictional figure. You've already thrown out all the uh, first four books of the Bible. Why not go the other 60 one and the point being made is that you throw out the bible you compromise with the bible you grant faulty assumptions you have to live with the consequences and this is the point how old is the earth Uh, based on the age of adam and how that would reference into the time of noah and then that leading to the time of abraham and his sons maybe around six to ten thousand years And if you have a problem with that, you can take it up with the guy who made it. But if it's different, I will stand rightly before him and say, I just took what your word says. And I think I made a few good assumptions that you knew what you were talking about when you said that you made Adam within the first week of creation. So making that reference that not one year had passed, then calculating those years, that's the reasoning. Now, as far as, well, what if our modern calendar, the Gregorian calendar was written in the 16th century, so obviously they're not going to reference that. They're going to use landmarks. They're going to use references to the people's ages and dates, and that's how they come to those conclusions. If you have a presupposition that dismisses the Bible before reading a word of it, then why do you bother reading it at all? That would be how, or rather why, we're not told a specific date, first of all, because our calendar's different and how they dated things were different, but also the Mm. controversy as to why this comes up is because of presuppositions, not because the Bible's unclear. We just need to basically pick a side and say, this is my tribe, and while I don't know how all of the semantics fit in, while the... nature of the redshift determined in the Hubble te- telescope that isn't too far from where we're doing this recording, actually, all of that's going to either fall or stand on whether or not Jesus rose from the dead, and his affirmations are more authoritative than the guesstimations by atheistic scientists, and that's the point. So, what about isms? What about this uh, factor? What about this uh, calculation based off of the singularity in point? There's been bigger minds than both of us put together, Yari, who have theories as to how that would work as far as the dilation of time traveling at the speed of light, it would be perceived differently, the white hole theory, and plenty of others. But the fact of the matter is, we stand or fall on Jesus of Nazareth, and if we work out from there his claims were that Genesis should be taken literally, and as far as historical claims are concerned, I don't think it changes much else beyond that. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, we're out of time for today. But we're going live again in um, 30 minutes for our service here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, Book of Ezekiel tonight. Yeah, all right, Yeah, yeah. A wild passage, a prophecy fulfilled in our days. Wow. Well, so again, yeah. on the same channels we're on, just in half an hour, we'll be live again for our service. Or if you're in the Tucson, Arizona area, come on down. You could probably get here from most places in town in 30 minutes yeah. <laughs> if you're careful. Uh, but God bless you. Thank you for your questions today. We're we'll back again tomorrow, same time, same place. God bless you guys.